Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. This is Scott Levesque, and you're listening to your daily dose of the Must Read Alaska podcast. Thank you so much for joining with me today. We've got a lot to talk about. Obviously, it's surrounding COVID as normal, at least nowadays. But before we get into any of that, you know my plea. I'm asking every time we have an episode, if you could just take one moment and give us a five-star review. It is very easy, very simple, and we're looking to try to get to 100 reviews by the end of of the year. Now we're sitting at 93, which means we only need seven more to hit that goal and make that a reality. But we need you guys. So why does this matter? Well, it helps us with search engine optimization. It helps with our rankings. It also helps with people trying to find the content that we talk about on a daily basis. So if you can go ahead and do that, it would be phenomenal. We thank you. Now, if you're one of those extra mild people, this is where you guys come in. We would love to hear from you from a written review. We've read all of those reviews on our podcast. It has been overwhelmingly positive, and we would love to hear from you if you haven't had an opportunity. And again, this is one of those extra mile things. It takes a minute or two, but we would love to hear from our listeners. And I just want to say this. From Must Read Alaska, we appreciate every listener, every reader, and every supporter. It's because of you guys were able to give and provide this content on a daily basis. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We truly appreciate you guys. All right, so once again, it is COVID season, COVID all the time, COVID this, COVID that, and today is no different. And we've got some breaking news. Suzanne Downing wrote about this at mustreadalaska.com. It's under the heading breaking. FDA panel says it approves giving COVID vaccines to kids ages. Ready? Drum roll, please. I don't have the sound effects yet, but ages five through 11. That's right. Now, I'm going to read a little bit from the article because I think it was well-written and very succinct. So, this is what the article says. The Food and Drug Administration Advisory Panel voted unanimously on Tuesday in favor of an FDA-fully-authorized Pfizer and BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine for children ages 5 through 11. One One member of the panel abstained from voting. Now, this is not final approval from the FDA, or Centers for Disease Control. That typically comes after the panel gives its advisory opinion. This is the same approval process that the agencies went through to approve a version of the Pfizer experimental vaccine. Look, we knew this was coming down the pike. We knew this was going to be a thing that was going to happen, which is now this shot is going to be approved for kids younger than 12 years old. And it's well on its way. Listen, if the advisory board approves it, you can guarantee that this is going to be approved uh, moving forward by the FDA and C- excuse me, CDC. It's only a matter of time. So it's not just about what happens now, but we look at what is the implication moving forward. The CDC released a study showing that 42% of young children in one study already have antibodies to the virus. But the CDC appears to believe that children should be vaccinated anyways. So what is this leading to? Well, we've seen what the vaccine in adults have led to. We've seen what the vaccine 
and college age students have led to. It's led to either do this or there's consequences, right? So what we're seeing across the country is that there's a mandate for adults to get the vaccine to keep their job. Not every place, but that's what's happening right now. It's either get the vaccine, the shot, or you're not going to have your job. And we're seeing that across the board in universities and colleges. We're seeing that either you get the vaccination or you will not be allowed to be enrolled in school. And it's not just in-person classes. This is extending to virtual classes right now. Either you get the vaccine, even though you're virtual and you're not in a classroom and you're not around anybody else, or you will not be allowed to be a part of this university or college. So we're starting to see the divide. And now this is trickling down to kids. And what is this going to lead to? Well, I think we're all very clear as to what this is going to lead to. This is going to be either get the vaccine, either your child gets the vaccine or they're not allowed to be in school. Bottom line, that's what's happening. Either your child receives the vaccine or they're not allowed to be in school, which we've already got a burden on many families right now because many families are losing their jobs because... Mom, dad, husband, wife do not want to be a part of this vaccine. They don't want to take it. They don't feel like they're ready to take it for whatever the reason. It doesn't even matter. They don't want to take the vaccine. So they're losing their job, creating economic instability in the family. And now with this rollout that is more than likely going to come for children ages 5 through 11, you know what this means. This means that schools, school boards, teachers unions are going to mandate or push that kids are mandated to have the vaccine or they're not allowed in class. I mean, you've already seen it coming. This is an extension of the mask issue that's happening in many schools. And if you think that the school board meetings are contentious now, you just wait. Wait till this rolls out. Wait till school boards say, yes, we are going to implement this vaccine mandate that kids will need to get vaccinated to go into Kindergarten and up. I'm telling you, it's right around the corner. And if you don't believe me, just follow the trends. The adult situation is going to trickle down to the kids, which now parents are going to have to decide, do I send my kid to public school? Well, I don't want them to have the vaccine. So that means private school or homeschool, which is going to create another economic issue. Bottom line, it's what's going to create. And I thought we were for the middle class family. And again, nobody has been able to give me a clear, rational, logical reason as to why those who do not want to get vaccinated are a threat to those who are vaccinated. And ladies and gentlemen, this is not stopping there. I may have said this on the podcast list when you do this podcast every day now, man, your mind just forgets things. So forgive me if I'm repeating, but I think it's worth it that hospitals now are saying if you're not receiving a booster six months after your vaccination, right? So your two shots, if you're not getting a booster six months after that, you're now being considered unvaccinated. So I do remember now I did say this, but now we're moving the goalpost again, people. And this is not going to stop. It's not going to stop until you fully comply to everything that is being asked. Remember way back when, when it was just, let's, let's use good hygiene, let's sneeze into our elbows, let's make sure we wash our hands, let's make sure we're cleaning everything with uh, really heavy-duty cleaner to make sure that we don't spread this virus 
to now, which is, and again, these are in hospitals. In the lower 48 saying, if you do not get your booster six months after you get vaccinated, you are now going to be considered unvaccinated. So your little card that you have, you're going to have to keep on you all the time. And it's going to have to be continually used and written on to make sure. Do you not? Do we not see what's going on here? I mean, it's pretty evident what's going on here. People are going to be very frustrated with a lot of what's going on because they were sold a bill of goods. Just get vaccinated and everything is going to be okay. They were sold that bill of goods. Hey, just get vaccinated. Everything is going to be okay. And now what's happening? Well, what's happening is this. The goalpost is moving once again. And with the goalpost moving, just, just know this is going to continue to go down the road of continue to apply, continue to comply, continue to comply. Oh, we want you to add this. Oh, you need to do this. It's not going to get any easier. I promise you that. Things are not going to get easier. But now the FDA is saying regardless of 42% of young adults in the study, children, excuse me, not young adults, children showing antibodies, we are still going to, we're still going to have kids ages 5 through 11 get vaccinated, even though the majority of those kids are unaffected by this virus. We're still going to make them do that. And mark my words, people. Mark my words. This is going to happen. You're going to see more and more, let's call them prerequisites. More prerequisites are going to, going to need to be applied to consider yourself vaccinated. It's just the reality of things. It just is the reality of things. So once again, we're sitting in this sort of crossroads of what are people going to do? Are you going to continue to, to uh, be held to different standards depending on the whim of Fauci, depending on the whim of Pfizer? I mean, what's the deal? How, how far does this go? How many now you have to get a booster every six months? I mean, wh what are we talking about here? But just keep in mind, that's what we're looking at. Now, what's really interesting is on, uh, on I believe it was Monday, uh, Suzanne wrote an article about, and it's titled, Alaska Railroad Announces Vaccine Mandate Deadline is December 8th. And it was a letter that was written by CEO Bill O'Leary that was simply just stating, listen, just gonna, you can read the letter, it's in the article. I just told you what the headline is. But essentially is this. The bottom line is all railroaders must be fully vaccinated by December 8th, 2021. So time is short. Get it done. Right? So in doing so, here's the deal. It's You have to be fully vaccinated. So to, to reach the December 8th deadline, you would have to get your Moderna shot. By the 27th of this month, which is tomorrow, okay, this is Tuesday the 26th, you'd have to get your Pfizer shot November 3rd or Johnson & Johnson by November 24th to take full effect. That's what they're saying. So when we're talking about, keep in mind, when we're talking about fully vaccinated, it's by the date. 
which means you have to make the decision, particularly if you're getting the Moderna shot, in a couple of days. So this is, I mean, listen, this is something that is going to continually and continually happen. However, what we found out today is, is that the board, the railroad board, has rescinded that. Under another article that was just released here, I mean, I'm talking within the last 30 minutes. It's under the title, Railroad Board Rescinds Its Vaccine Mandate, for now at least. Most of the last guys learned that the board of the railroad, Alaska Railroad Corporation has met and has rescinded its decision to mandate COVID-19 vaccines for all its employees. The railroad CEO, Bill O'Leary, sent a letter to employees last Friday, giving everyone a deadline of December 8th to be vaccinated. After half of the employees are already fully vaccinated, and some employees began to talk about striking as a result of the mandate. The board said the mandate was the result of President Joe Biden's September executive orders requiring all federal workers, federal contractors, and businesses with more than 100 employees to be fully vaccinated for COVID-19. The railroad has numerous federal contracts, but the question remains whether the federal government will take uh, draconian action, this is reading from the article, against the railroad and the Alaskans and military community it serves. Now, listen, here's the deal. Number one is that we don't actually know how this federal rollout is going to happen because it's still unclear. And we read an article from the UAF president who said, hey, we're not going to mandate this right now because we actually don't know what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to keep track, how we're supposed to test daily, all of that. All that rollout hasn't happened. Listen, it was Joe Biden saying it and sort of initiating this fear response so that corporations and companies and organizations would just comply on their own as opposed to actually having a rollout of what this would look like. That was the purpose of it. And so now what you have is these companies that are rolling this out based on this executive order that doesn't really have any proper protocol in place right now. That's the biggest problem. And so you have somebody like the president of UAF saying, Listen, we're not going to roll this out until we know what we're supposed to do. And until we know what we're supposed to do, I can't really fully comply. But on the other hand, you have multiple lawsuits against this administration right now. Multiple lawsuits. So the question remains is, even if companies begin to comply, and there have been many. I mean, listen, Providence, South Central Foundation... Uh, a and THC, you have many companies that are complying to this. How are you, what is going to happen, I guess my question is, is if these lawsuits go to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court rules in favor of those who get a choice between vaccination and unvaccinated, meaning it is unconstitutional to force private companies to vaccinate all of their employees and then keep records of all of that to ensure the compliance of all that if that becomes an unconstitutional executive order what happens to those organizations that terminate their employees based on that that's the question that i have not been able to find an answer to are there legal ramifications to those organizations for wrongful termination now many of them are getting around this because they have lawyers, because they're looking at what would happen if a federal case went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the plaintiff, of those who were suing as opposed to the federal government, what would happen? So now you're getting these different things like 
voluntary termination is a is a term I'm hearing a lot of. Voluntary termination. Listen, we're not saying you're going to get terminated. You're voluntary terminating it based on your inability to quote comply. Or in the healthcare field, it's just we're not going to schedule you. So we're not going to fire you, but we're not going to schedule you either. So you're going to stay on as a quote employee, but we're just not going to schedule you. Which is really interesting and I'm sure payroll and HR are going to love that. So if there's no termination, but there's no actual work being done, how does that deal with benefits? All of that. There, there's a lot of questions and I don't think anybody has the true answer to this. But moving forward, man, you're starting to see the unions come out against this. And I'm curious how this is going to affect the Democratic Party, how this is going to affect labor work relations, how this is going to affect organizational labor work relations. I mean, this has a ripple effect that people just are not realizing at all. At all. And yet here we are. We're in this moment where we're trying to figure out exactly what's going to happen. And nobody knows. I mean, for crying out loud, there's no actual rollout of this executive order from the Biden administration. There's no protocol, procedures on how to do any of this, whether that's actually knowing and legally knowing who's been vaccinated and who hasn't. And then on top of that, those who have to be tested daily, nobody knows how to do that as well. We are in uncharted territory right now. And yet we're making decisions as organizations, corporations, and as a, as a country, as a state, as a city, on, on executive orders that are not thorough at all. So it'll be interesting as, as this continues to see exactly, exactly what ends up happening. And, and again, if this hits the Supreme Court, I want to know what happens if the Supreme Court rules in favor of those who are suing the federal government? What happens? What happens to their jobs? What happens to the companies or organizations? What happens to the federal government? Because now the next thing to do is to sue for jobs, wages, law. I mean, it could get out of control. This has been a mess and I'm sure it will continue. Well, let's dive away from some of this and go into election time, shall we? Let's go into a little bit of, of election time. And I think this is very interesting because right now we have a recall election happening in District 4 and it is a recall of Meg Zeltel. Now, there was another recall to her counterpart, Felix Rivera, that ended poorly. Uh, part of that was the money disparity in both, for lack of a better term, campaigns for those who are trying to recall for those who are against recall, right? So when the Felix Rivera recall happened, there was not a lot of money in the recall effort, but there was a lot of money in the the those against the recall. I'm trying to figure out how to do that well, but it doesn't really work well. Now that has been overturned and there have been equal playing fields in terms of how much money is being spent on both sides. So today is the last day to be able to vote for this recall. And there are a lot of interested people to see what happens because the ripple effect of this is huge. If you remember, Meg Zelotel introduced, along with Pete Peterson, this mass law that is now in effect. It was changed from an ordinance to an emergency ordinance and now in effect. And so she was the leading 
uh, assembly person to to present this, and it was co-sponsored by Pete Peterson, and was passed. Now, this was passed after six days of public testimony. It was one of those bait and switches. We knew it was coming. Unfortunately, they tried to convince the public that, hey, we'll start resuming testimony on Wednesday. We just have a Tuesday meeting. We need to get our work done. And then what did they do? Bait and switch. They brought up this uh, emergency ordinance, passed it. Obviously, it went to Bronson. He vetoed it. They had a special meeting to override the veto with a supermajority and thus what was considered AO 2021-91 and was being contested by the public was ripped from them and used as an emergency ordinance and it's out there now. So we have an article in Must Read Alaska, on Must Read Alaska, and it's entitled RV is back at Election Central in Anchorage to keep an eye out for election fraud. Now the reason why I gave you that whole spiel ahead of this article title was because if you remember the mayoral election in Anchorage, there were some really interesting things happening down at 619 Ship Creek Ave. And that's where the election office is. And that's where the municipal clerk's office is. And there was a lot of weird things going on. A lot of people after hours being able to open doors. A lot of people, including a municipal clerk, who have dismissed the ballot watchers on both sides, staying after with some of her staff which seemed very suspicious. You don't need to do that. Anything that you would have an ambiguity or any sort of lack of transparency or any accountability issues is not a good thing to have. It's not a good thing to have in your elections. And listen, I want to rehash all of 2020, but many of you know there was a lot of issues and a lot of the public felt very uncomfortable with election integrity. Right or wrong, not jumping on a side, Right or wrong, there was a lot of question about election integrity. So here we sit. We have a recall election, an important recall election for those in District 4. Many people, I'm assuming, have a, have a dog in this fight one way or another, whether for the recall or against it. And so to prevent any hanky-panky, to prevent any issues, if you remember, the Brunson administration had an RV parked down at 619 Ship Creed Ave. And it caused a lot of hoopla. There was a lot of stir about it. Uh, many people were unhappy. But what it did is it had a presence there. And they it sat there 24-7 during the ballot counting. Well, it is assuming that was effective, but guess what? An RV's back there to make sure there's no hanky-panky going on with the election. And let's just put it this way. It was effective. It was effective. Listen, this recall is not just because of the mask law. There are many things and many different policies and ordinances that were passed during the 2020 summer and well through 2020 into 2021 that people in District 4 were unhappy with with their with their representative, Meg Zalatel. They were unhappy with both of them, both Felix Rivera and Meg Zalatel. They got... And we're able to get, Felix was a quick recall because there was no pushback from the municipal clerk. But after a year fighting in courts, and after the fastest, quickest decision in Alaska Supreme Court history, the recall from Zalatel happened. And now we're here. And now it's upon us. And listen, this is a big deal. Why? Because you have an over 
overwhelming majority of the assembly that sits in the camp of far left. And Zalatel is one of the faces of that. And so to remove her would provide an opportunity for somebody who's not so far left to get in there, or maybe even conservative, and help sway some of this crazy supermajority of left more center. And at the end of the day, I would like a balance. Listen, I'm all for conservative policies, but listen, balance would be nice right about now. Now, from the actual re- uh, the article written by Suzanne, again, it's under the title, RV is back at Election Central and angers to keep an eye out for election fraud, she writes this. During the mayoral election, there were numerous documented irregularities and activities around the building, including people coming into the, the unsecured building late at night and an unexplained malfunction of the fire alarm that sent everyone scurrying out of the building. That happened shortly after Assemblyman Christopher Constance signed out. But no other link to him has ever been established. He was a visitor on behalf of the Forrest Dunbar for mayor campaign, which failed in the May runoff. The Bronson for mayor campaign brought in Dave Bronson's recreational vehicle to use as the command center for the campaign's effort to monitor the counting of ballots. Now, what was incredibly interesting was this. The recall Zelotel campaigners say that they are protecting the integrity of the election and ensuring manipulation doesn't occur, but this is sure to irritate municipal clerk Barbara Jones, who along with the assembly is planning to pass an ordinance this year that blocks the public from being able to see what is going on at the election central, which is nuts. That's nuts. Why would you do that? Again, why can't what what's wrong with accountability? If you have nothing to hide, what's wrong with accountability? What's wrong with people going, I want to make sure that you're doing your job right. You're a public official. Come on. This is what's crazy. You're you're digging your own. You're creating your own problems. You're creating your own problems. The public wants to understand, wants to see transparency, parity, accountability, and responsibility. And, and the clerk and the assembly are shucking all of that. To continue on, the clerk works with the assembly, not the mayor, and she took issue with the observers from the Bronson campaign during the April-May election. Come on. Man, it just frustrates me that when the general public wants to see accountability, transparency, and responsibility, elected officials nowadays, not all of them, but it certainly seems like in this case, they want to shuck that. Now... I don't think so. Not only that, we're just going to continue to push you out. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. But once again, we're, we're at a crossroads here. We are at a crossroads. We, are, we, we do not understand just how important it is that we feel like the election integrity is there. I don't understand why that's a big deal. Why it's so difficult for elected officials to understand that when when the public elects them into office, we want to see not just results. We want to see the process. We want to know that what's going on is fair, above board. We want to see the transparency. We want to understand all of that. But no, that's not the case. Not here in Anchorage. And apparently not with the municipal clerk or the assembly. And I want to tell you something. If they pass that, if they try to block 
the public from being able to see what's going on Electric Central is that is absurd. That uh, that cannot happen. Not even not even remotely close. Because with mail-in balloting, it makes it that much harder. I mean, look what's going on at Juno right now. There's over 300 ballots that are not going to count in an election. And with the amount of people that are part of the electorate, that's 4%. That's craziness. That's also on Must Read Alaska. You can read about that under the title, Juno voters mailed their ballots in, but 339 of them will not be counted because there is no post office cancellation on them. Listen, mail-in voting is, is, I mean, it is a democratic stronghold there. But I'm going to tell you, there's something to be said to be going to the polls. Mail-in balloting, I'm not a fan of it. That mail-in ballots are to me the manifestation of a lack of accountability, responsibility, and transparency. That's just my personal feeling. It really is. It's ridiculous. And we're seeing this. We're seeing this now. I mean, this this story in Juno is just another example. I, I read it. It's on mustreadalaska.com. It's just another example. And it's sad. And you know who counseled Juno as they turned into the mail-in balloting system? Anchorage and our municipal clerk. Our municipal clerk. That's right. Robert Jones. I just don't... Mail-in balloting is, is, is ripe with inaccuracies, inconsistencies, a lack of transparency. We've already seen that ballots are being mailed to people out of state who are registered voters in other states. It's a crap system. It's a crap system. It doesn't work. You can never get the voting rolls right. And there's something to be said with being able to go. Listen, if you're going to require a COVID-19 passport to show that you've been vaccinated, there's no reason why somebody can't go to a poll and show their ID. I don't want to hear that excuse anymore. It's That is unacceptable excuse. Bottom line. It's unacceptable. That is an unacceptable excuse. It will not fly much longer. It just won't. It will not. And I don't want to hear about it because it's not true. You can't have your cake and eat it too. I'm sorry. As much as you want to, Democrats, not going to happen. And it's not all Democrats. But those in public office right now are are pushing this idea that, oh, we should not have voter ID. There's no reason. That's, you know, everything. Every, Every word you can use that's nasty has been thrown out for those who think, why would we not have voter ID to vote. Don't you want to know the person voting is the person that has the ballot that matches their ID? But no, 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 we can't do that. However, we can force an entire country to get vaccinated or at least attempt to and carry around a card. But that's okay. Again, the logic in this country has just gone off the deep ends. There is none. There is none. All right, lastly, let's talk a little bit about COVID in terms of numbers here in Alaska. And I want to be very clear, I, I am not a COVID denier, so don't, don't hear that when we talk about it. But there, case counts on Monday, I'm sorry, on Sunday, were about 351. And what's more surprising to me is what I read on mainstream media. 
and what I read in newspapers and what I'm seeing and what's being reported here. Now, I completely understand that we need to be very careful and watch our numbers. Absolutely. I think it's important to look at the totality of the data, which is not just positivity rates, but our seven day rolling average. We also need to look at what's going on in hospital resources, right? We also need to look at ventilators. I think that's a key indicator, right? For example, in our ventilator capacity, about 17% of our capacity is being used right now. 17%. If you look at adult ICU bed capacity across the board, we have about 88% capacity. If you look at inpatient bed capacity, we're at about 77% capacity across the state. That's across the state, by the way. If you look at our seven-day totals, now it's high per average across the country, yes, but they're trending down. At one point, there were 1,200. Now, they're about 664 and trending down. Okay? If you look at that, our rolling seven-day averages, they're trending down right now. If you look at daily tests, in terms of the averages, we're one of the highest tested states in America. Now listen to me. The things that I'm not seeing on here are what are the breakthrough rates? Are they increasing? Are they decreasing? How many of the hospitalizations are from fully vaccinated people versus unvaccinated people? That's what I want to know. I want to know in capacity here. I'm looking at this status of hospital resources occupied out of total capacity includes COVID and non-COVID patients. How many of the 88% occupied adult ICU beds are COVID versus non-COVID? Right? How many of the adult inpatient bed capacities, which is at 77% are COVID versus non-COVID? That's what I want to know. I think that you can look at the, and listen, I'm all about picture graphs. I love picture graphs. Listen, picture books are great. But at the end of the day, we need to know, we need to drill down on the data. I want to know the data. Deeper than just, here, here's our seven day. How many of them, how many COVID cases right now that are being reported are breakthrough cases? What's the percentage of our breakthrough rate? That's what I want to see tracked. Are, is our breakthrough rate increasing? We did an article on this. Suzanne did an article. We were at 16% a week and a half ago. Is that increasing? So are we seeing positive test results happening in vaccinated people? That's an important factor to know. But what we're seeing is just sort of these topical numbers, which are good to know, but we need more. We need more. But nobody likes to get into the minutia because it doesn't make a great headline. And we're scaring people. We need to know these things. Absolutely. Every death from COVID is atrocious. Every death. But let's start looking. Let's start looking at, the again, it's in the details. If you look at the positivity rate in Alaska, it's decreasing right now. Sure, is it high? Absolutely. But if it's been high and it's trending down, yes. That's a good sign. We need to be trending down. And, and anybody knows statistics? It does. There's the curve goes down. You will see it. I mark my words. At the end of the day, when we're 
at what everybody feels is a comfortable rate, which is about 100 or less is the nationwide average of moderate or substantial is 50 to 100, moderate is 10 to 50. And this is the seven day total case rate per 100,000. As we get down there, you're gonna to start to see, we're in the middle of collecting data right now. And the data that I'm getting doesn't give the full picture. And that's why this is really frustrating because we need to see a fuller picture of what's going on here. Even in the death rates, I'd like to know if there's a commonality in those who are passing away from COVID and how we can have preventative care. Isn't that important? That's absolutely important. Every death from COVID is, that's awful. But we need to know what preventative care can happen, where we need to see, right? So we know the highest population that's at risk as the older population. We also know that pre-existing conditions like diabetes and, and other really important factors, immunocompromised individuals, those are important factors for us to know and to help mitigate. What I want is better and more in-depth statistics. I don't just need the, the topical stuff that brings everybody into a standstill in fear. Let's know the details. I think people more now than ever are interested in knowing the details and why things are happening the way they are. And less interested in just being trying these scare tactics. Yes, COVID is out there. We have a high rate right now. Absolutely. But give me more detail. Maybe we need to see what the breakthrough rate is. Because if the breakthrough rate is increasing steadily as new cases of unvaccinated are decreasing, that tells you something. That's an important stat to know. I'm just saying that's one out of many. And I'm harping on that because we're at an alarming rate. We're seeing an increase in that breakthrough rate. I just want to know more. And I feel like we're not giving the public what they need. We're giving them what's going to make them comply. Or what the narrative needs. And trust me, that's a thing. That's not a conspiracy theory thing. That's a real deal. The public deserves to know more detail. Diving into those stats. Providing and stratifying that information. Not just giving you a topical stat that doesn't really tell you the full picture. I like numbers and I like the full spectrum of those numbers. I want to know the strata of every data point that you give me. And not everybody's like that, but I feel like more and more as people are starting to really want to know the in-depth of this, and this is at a point in our country where I believe more and more people are wanting to understand better. Not everybody, but I feel like there's a growing sentiment in that. And it's important. And we should be doing that. Bottom line. All right, listen, that's it for me today. We've had a, a great show. I appreciate everybody listening. And, and, and listen, if you want to continue to help support must read Alaska because you love our content and you want to make sure we can do this every day and provide you with all of the information, not just a narrative, but all of the information. I want to encourage you to go to mustreadalaska.com and at the top right, you'll see the donation page. Go ahead and hit that donation button. Every little bit counts and we appreciate all of our listeners, readers, and our supporters. And if you haven't had a chance, like us on Facebook, find us on MeWe, Rumble, 
Parlor, YouTube, Twitter. We're on all of those. And it's under the, the same handle, Must Read Alaska, all one word. Listen, guys, thanks for joining me with me Tuesday. We'll be giving you all the feedback and we'll see what those election, or I should say, that recall effort and um, election came out to be. But until then, guys, take care of yourself. Stay safe. And until next time.